Alrighty, what you just saw uh, was our next week teaching series beginning. It's called Star of the Monster. And uh, we're all talking about uh, how we always want a little more, a little more this, a little more that. And when we feed that, the monster inside of us grows and we start feeling like we're entitled to all of these things. So really, what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks is how do we starve the monster of entitlement. And I believe this is going to be a very uh, poignant series, especially around the holidays. Can you believe it? I'm even saying holidays. OMG, I'm just telling you, uh, it is like, I, by the way, I, I, when I say holidays, I got my phone jam-packed with Christmas music. I'm just telling you, I'm just, I'm just letting you know. It, I, I'm, not, I'm not playing it yet. I'm not playing it, but November 1st, it's on like Donkey Kong, I'm just saying. So I'm going to drop it like it's hot. All right, anyway, we are uh, finishing up our series entitled Like a Boss, where we are talking about how God wants us to do and live our lives at work. And I hope you've enjoyed uh, this three-part series. If this is your first time with us today, uh, you're kind of coming at the end of the movie. One of the things that we do here at OneChurch.tv is we uh, pick a topic, and we talk about that topic, and when we're kind of done with that topic, we drop it, and we go to another topic. So uh, this is the last week of a series, a three-part series. So um, if you're a little lost, don't worry, I'm going to spend some time catching you up. And of course, you can go on our onechurch.tv app and you can download it and listen to all that stuff for free. But one of the things that we've been asking ourselves is this question. What is the purpose of work? What is the purpose of work? And as we discovered the first week, that many of us, we have four different purposes for work. First is, for many of us, we see that uh, we find our identity at work. In fact, we talked about this the first week, um, that uh, the first qu question somebody who doesn't know you, they ask is, what's your name? And then secondly is, what do you do? And where we find our identity. The second one uh, is purpose. Um, and many of us, we want to find purpose in our job. We want to find purpose in that. And none of us just want to just do something menial that doesn't make a difference. And I totally get that. Uh, the third thing is that all of us, we want to be successful. Uh, we want to be able to make money, and we want to be able to keep up with the Joneses. And again, I get that. But really, this is probably the most common one, is all of us, we have to pay the bills. We got MasterCard. We got Walmart card. We got all kinds of different cards. And all of these things, many times, are the reason why we say that we work. But what we discovered the first week, that even though a lot of these are the reasons why we work, it's not the reason why God wants us to work. Because we talked about if our purpose, not only in our job, but in our lives, is to put God in the center. And if we put God in the center, everything just kind of falls into place. And we learned that our in that first week, our big idea, that our purpose at work is to show that God is at work in our life. That if we put God in the center, we will be able to see that God, that God is the one who gives meaning uh, to our lives. Now, last week, we talked about this whole idea of uh, that many of us, we grew up and we, we had this idea of what we wanted to become when we grew up. You know, when we grow up, I want to be this, I want to be that. I share with you what I want to be. I want to be an astronaut, right? Uh, uh, there was a, a, a very gruff guy in 11 o'clock service who wanted to be a ballerina, and that's okay, all right? But, uh, but all of us, we grew up wanting to be something. But now, for most of us, we didn't become what we wanted to become. And there's this frustrating gap between our big dreams 
homes and what we're doing now. That many of us were stuck in a job we don't believe in. We're selling a product that we wouldn't buy ourselves. And most of us, we have, <laughs> we have bosses that resemble some of the bosses that we find in the office. And we're like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, one of the things that we learned last week was simply this. It, that we are, we are to be able to kind of dig in and we're to ask the question, we're to ask the question, what does God want us to become? Because here's the thing, God is more interested in our character than our careers. Uh, God, so we want to ask the question, God, who are you leading me to be? Now, today, we're ending this series by looking at a work myth that many of us believe to be true, but really, it's a lie. In fact, uh, one of the people that talk a lot about this, it being a lie, is a guy by the name of Mike Rowe, one of the guys in Dirty Jobs. So let's watch this clip if we could. You're the kind of guy you get a big brouhaha going off and online. Brouhaha, is that is really it a word? A brouhaha, it's a, it's a word to me. All right. <laughs> All right, you went on Facebook recently, so a fan of yours said, following your passion, and asked you for advice on following your passion. Uh, and yeah. you said, you know what, following your passion is not the way to go. No. This is what caused the brouhaha. What were you saying? I'm saying that uh, there were a lot of lessons from Dirty Jobs. One of the big ones was I met a lot of people who were very happy in their work but didn't follow their passion to get there. In other words, they found themselves in careers that were by no means mm. the uh, embodiment of their wish fulfillment. They looked around, they saw where everybody else was going, and they went the opposite direction. Uh, one guy in particular who I was referring to in that post wound up in a septic tank, cleaning septic tanks. It wasn't what he loved to do. He wasn't passionate about it. Huh. But he was great at it, and he excelled at it, and he prospered at it, and he bought extra trucks and hired more people and learned to love it. If passion is really as important as we're told, then we ought not follow it around. We ought to take it with us wherever we go and apply it toward whatever it is we wind up doing, in my yeah. opinion. The success stories that I prefer to highlight are ones that ultimately unfold because the people themselves are passionate irrespective and regardless of the circumstances in which they find themselves which is which i look i think it's a really neat thing you're saying and it goes right at what you're doing now somebody's got to do it sure i love people who figured it out by taking the reverse commute some people yeah. on somebody's got to do it actually did follow their passion mm -hmm. so it, it's not like there's a, a playbook for happiness right right but a lot of people didn't a lot of people were just passionate to start with and they ultimately found themselves in a place where that was rewarded that's interesting what micro is saying is follow your passion follow the opportunity and you might think, you know, um, that some good career advice and maybe there are some good things that you didn't know that you were passionate about if you actually followed that advice. That there's some things, you are like, I don't know if I'm really passionate about that, but you do it, and to find out, you, you find out you're actually good at it. You know, uh, you might be amazed that this myth of pursuing your passion is first debunked by a guy in the Bible who was very, very passionate but had to do some things that he was less than passionate about to finally get to the place that God could and did use him in some huge, amazing, amazing ways. I think that for most of us, we believe that if we don't follow our passion, we won't put a ding in the universe. In fact, y'all remember this from the Steve quote from last week. This is what it says. It'll be up on your screen. 
We all grow up wanting to put a ding in the universe. The ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world usually are the ones who do. Okay, I, I believe that, but I believe that many times we make that ding by doing the things that we don't love and that we're not passionate about when we do the grunt work. In fact, can we say that word grunt work? Let's say it. Grunt work. Let's say it one more time like, it's, like you're grunting. Grunt work. All right, that was good. All right, you see, many times it's doing the grunt work that really we see the whole thing pay off. And we're going to see Paul, the Apostle Paul, do some things and do a job that he didn't love, and he stayed at it for a long time. He diligently and consistently did the same thing day after day after day. Here's our big idea today. Our job, our job makes an impact when we are consistent and we do the what? grunt work absolutely we can make an impact when we are consistent another word for consistent is diligent and we do the grunt work in fact, let me just put this in an equation if i could all right that's what it says impact equals consistency at grunt work over time you see if you want to make an impact that's going to happen when we're consistent at grunt work over time one of the jobs that i did uh, when i was kind of in the ministry was construction and i'll never forget uh, a friend of mine we're still friends by the way mike johnson uh he owned his own construction business and he hired me to do construction to be a handyman now those who know me you know that I am a lot of things, but handy is not one of them. In fact, let me just tell you this. My wife's not here, so I'm safe. All right? She's coming to second service. Um, this past, uh, this weekend, not yesterday, but the last weekend, we decided, you know, we had a, a drippy faucet in our shower. So we're thinking, all right, we YouTubed it, right? We're going, we're going to figure out how to fix this thing. All right? It can't be that hard. Of course, we're thinking it can be horrifically hard, but we, ha- we were trying to be optimistic. Uh, as you know, Kim's de- father just passed away, and he was very handy. So we're thinking, okay, we're going to make Richard proud. So uh, we got into it, and we're starting, and Walt and myself and I, we, we're looking on YouTube. They go to Lowe's. They get the parts. Um, they talk to somebody. Great. Okay, you just need to turn off the water main. Great. Got it. I couldn't turn off the water main. Now, listen, I know where it was at. It was by the street. I even bought the tool, right? The water key. Didn't know what that was until two weeks ago, right? But I had to call Bob Key at one church to come help me take the water key to turn it off. And what should have been an hour to our job took us six hours. And that only got completed because of Bob Key, not Edmondson's. I am not handy. Now, I remember Mike Johnson, uh, the person who hired me to do construction, he says, you know what, today I'm going to give you the grunt work. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fun, right? The grunt, what was the grunt work? Well, uh, it was uh, uh, taking a coal shovel and hitting the plaster down from the lathe and, and getting that all that off so that you could be able to put up sheetrock. Or it was, you know, I'm going to go in 90-degree weather and, and you're going to scrape off, you know, two layers of shingles so that you could re-shingle the house. You do the grunt work and you just edit and you edit day after day after day you're just hitting hitting you're going at it and uh, one day he came to me and he says i'm gonna give you some cheese work i'm gonna do what with some cheese 
Because um, I can work me a cheese pizza. All right, no, no, no. I, I, let me explain what cheese work is. Cheese work is glory work. And I'm like, oh, that's helped. All right, what's glory work? He said this. He says, grunt work is where you sweat and you use your brawn and you do all of this. But glory work is where you're using more of your head and you're able to see some stuff going on. Glory work is when you're sitting there and, and you're, you're painting the side and you're just kind of going at it and you're seeing it. And you can see that you make a difference. Um, that you are to, I mean, glory work was, you know, when you see something completed, you're able to step back and you're able to say, I've done that. Glory work wasn't as much sweating, but what it was, was doing the things that, you know, at the end of the day, um, it wasn't deconstruction, it was construction. Um, it's when you get a tool in your hands, you're able to see a difference, and you see progress. You know, here's what I know about all of us in here. All of us, we want a DWL, we want to do what we love, and I get that. But here's the thing, you can't get to the glory work without first doing the grunt work. You can't get to do the things that you want to do until you start doing the things that you don't want to do. The, in fact, what we're going to learn today, the grunt work is the glory work. Because today, I want us to reclaim the value of hitting the same nail during the grunt work. Paul, an apostle, what that means, an apostle literally means he was a sent one. He was sent with a message. And Paul would start churches, and then he would leave, and he would write these letters. And by the Holy Spirit, he would fill him, and he would write these letters that eventually became our Bible. And that was glory work for him. I mean, yet when Paul starts talking about jobs, he talks less about the glory work of stuff like that, and he talks more about the grunt work. Because Paul, the way Paul described himself and how he supported himself, get this, was making tents. He was a tent maker. And he would get um, he would get the poles, and he would get sewing. He would get uh, you know, and he would sew these tents together, and he would sell them to Roman officers, or he would sell them to those people who were kind of like wandering. And he would make these tents, and that's how he made a living, so that the grunt work, so that he could do the glory work of writing two thirds of the New Testament. Listen to what Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses six through thirteen says. We're going to read all the things, and we're going to kind of dissect it. Keep away from every person who is what? Idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to follow our example. We were not what? Idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help. No, we did it in order to make ourselves a model for you so that you can follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that, that some among you are what? Idle. That they are busy, and they're, but they're busybodies. So such people we command and urge to the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing good. Now, one of the many well parts of all of these verses I just read was this part, and many of us heard it. If a man shall not work, he shall not what? 
eat. Now, that has been used and applied to those quoted against people who are taking advantage of the welfare system and our government and intentionally not having a job so that they can get money from the government to eat. And, and though this verse certainly has application to that, the real context of this verse has to do with people who are actually working, they actually have jobs, but they're not doing their jobs diligently. What is diligence? Well, diligence is simply working hard at what you do. And Mike Rowe has some things to say about that. Let's watch this. Want to see something scary? I mean, worse than scary, like disgusting? Okay. This will turn your stomach, but you ask for it. Prepare yourself for the worst advice in the history of the world. Work smart, not hard. You've heard the expression back in the early 70s when college needed a PR campaign, somebody put this on a poster and you can see at a glance what they were suggesting. If you're not this guy, you might wind up like this guy. Today, skilled trades are in demand. In fact, there are three million jobs out there that companies in this country are having a hard time filling, so we thought the skilled trades could do with a PR campaign. So we took the same idea, went ahead and vandalized it. Work smart and hard. The rest, I believe, speaks for itself. And that's the lesson from the dirt. Thank you. Work smart, not hard. That's bad advice, but working smart and hard. We should beware of people who do not like work. That's what the scripture says. In fact, it says this in verse 6. Keep away. In the Greek, the word keep away means keep away. Keep away from those who are idle and do not live according to the teaching you receive from us. If someone is not a fan of work, when someone is more excited about the weekend and recreational pursuits than their job, what Paul is saying is that's a spiritual issue. That's a spiritual problem. Paul says, I want, you, I want to be an example of work to you. He says that in verse 7. For you yourselves know that you ought to, to follow our example. Keep away from those who are idle and do not live according to our teaching. So, and so many times we want to get jobs that we can be proud of, jobs that we can post on Facebook, jobs that when we go to our class reunion, that we're going to, everybody goes, oh, they made it, right? And everybody's so envious. But Paul says, no, I want you to set an example, and many times that involves doing the jobs that nobody loves. This is what it says in verse 8. We worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we will not be a burden to any of you. Paul, he's an apostle. He is one who is sent. He is exalting the grunt work of his life, which is tent making. He isn't bragging about the glory work of how he's wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Um, for, and, and, I mean, he made a ding in the universe. We're still talking about stuff that he wrote 2,000 years ago. But here at OneChurch.tv, we have an element of grunt work, and there's also an element of glory work. Let me kind of explain what that looks like. Like on Sunday morning, we have people here at 6 o'clock, and they were doing grunt work. They were pulling stuff out. They were unrolling cords. They were setting up environments. They were putting together puzzle pieces that make the flooring of our children's environments. They were putting up panels. They were doing grunt work so that the band could do some glory work up here, so that I could get up and speak and do some glory work. This is easy. But I tell you, it, it, what, one of the things that we've learned at OneChurch.tv is that the grunt work, that's where it happens. If we don't do the grunt work, guess what don't happen? The glory work don't happen. Right? The stuff that, that, I mean, we want to see make an impact and make a difference, that doesn't happen. And let me just tell you a little bit about our staff. Every, all of our staff get here at 6 o'clock so that they can be able to do the grunt work. 
We don't have any prima donnas on our staff. We've been doing this for eight years, being portable. I've been here almost every day at 6 o'clock, 6.10 in the morning, trying to get all of this stuff done. And the reason why is not because I don't have anything better to do. I do. But I believe that if I'm going to be a leader, then I've got to lead by example. And I believe what gives me the credibility to do this is when I get up and I do the hard stuff. I want all of us, especially our leaders, to be able to do the grunt work so that when we do the glory work, that gives some validity to that. And that's huge. It's huge. All right? Now, as your pastor and all of our pastors, you know, we, we, we're not afraid of the grunt work. And our volunteers, we know that you're not afraid of the grunt work. Man, we got some great volunteers who help strike everything down. And I mean, when they get done, they're sweating. In fact, we, we hired a staff person a few years ago. He's no longer with us. But his first day on the job, we're put, setting all this environments up. And he says, y'all do this every Sunday? This is ridiculous. That person's no longer with us, by the way. That person said that in front of Brian Sorowski, who's been setting up for six years every Sunday. And he's going, and this, and this is this dude's first Sunday, and he's like, uh, this is dumb. Well, well, there you go. Anyway, so one of the things that I hear and I get asked by church planners is, Chris, what's the secret sauce? What's the secret of what you do and, 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 and just the huge impact that you made here in Clarksville? And you know what? I think, uh, and I, I think the secret sauce is this. It's just hitting the same nail every day. It's being consistent at what you do. It's not, and hear me, when you're consistent at what you do, you'll start getting better at what you do. Uh, one of the things that they taught, they taught us in seminary, at Dallas Seminary, they drilled some statistics in our heads, is that 85% of all churches have either plateaued or they're declining. And the thing you've got to ask yourself is, why are they plateaued? Why are they declining? Well, the reason why is because pastors don't generally stay long at churches. The average tenure and stay of a pastor at a church is three years. Three years. Yet the most successful time a pastor experiences at a church is usually between 5 years to 20 years. And the longer tenure is needed for church health. Pastors are not making an impact because we are not consistent at doing the grunt work. That is huge. We've got to get, I've got to get, our staff, all churches, we've got to get better. We can't be afraid of work. We roll up our sleeves and we get in there. Whatever you want to do, if you want to get traction in it, then you've got to do the same thing. You've got to show up every day. Paul says this in verses 8 and 9. We work night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we will not be a burden to any of you, because we want to do right, because we do not have the right in such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow you. God, you know God gives you blessings, and that is one way that you can get blessings. you know how else you can get blessings? Working. Right? Some of us were like, God, please bless me today. God's going, why don't you go get a job? I will bless you. But uh, another way that you can be blessed is you just do work and you do it diligently. And you just do that. You get in there, you sweat, you toil, and you do it and you hit the same time, the same nail day after day. I'm, I'm reminded of my dad. My dad, he started working in 1967. He started working for the airlines, Ozark Airlines. Ain't none of y'all heard it because it ain't around no more. Ozark Airlines got bought out by Trans World Airlines, TWA. They got bought out by American Airlines. And just last week, American Airlines got bought out by U.S. Airways, right? And I'm thinking, but he's been, he's 71 years old, and he still works. 
He does two doubles during the week. And, he, and he's in the belly of an airplane uh, throwing people's, uh, you know, over-stuffed uh, luggage in there. And he's been doing that since 1967, right? But let me tell you something about, about, about Forbes magazine, what, and this came out. And I think this will be on the screen. I think it will. It may not. The average worker today stays at each of his or her job for 4.4 years, according to the recent available data for Bureau of Labor and Statistics. But the expected tenure of the workforce's youngest employees is about half of that. Listen to this. 91% of millennials expect to stay at a job less than three years. That means that they will have 15 to 20 jobs over the course of their working lives. Now, what's the problem with having 15 to 20 jobs? Well, here's the problem. You're never going to get at anything because you don't have any consistency of hitting the same nail day after day, week after week, month after month. You've got to stay at it. You've got to be consistent. And this last verse, verse 11, so we hear that some among of you are idle. They are not busy, but they are what? Busy bodies. Now, what is a busy body? A busy body is someone who isn't busy at work, but they're just busy about being at work, around work, but not really doing no work. What does that mean to be a busy body? It means you're kind of always busy. I know, y'all don't want to see that. None of y'all got time for that. That you're busy, but you're not really producing nothing. And y'all know how that looks like, because all of us have done it. You're supposed to be on the job at 9 o'clock. You show up at 9.02. And you get there, and you got 15 minutes to do some stuff, right? You got to get your stuff, and then you got to go to the water cooler. And then after that, you got to go to the bathroom, right? And then, after that, you kind of sit down at your desk, and... You start thumbing through all the stuff that you got to do, and you're like, oh, man, I got a lot of stuff to do. I didn't get that done yesterday. So then you go on Facebook. You complain about it. You tweet about it. You put an Instagram post about it. And then, well, man, I'm going to do these reports, but I think I'm also going to turn on Netflix. Let me see what's going on at the office. What's going on at your office is you ain't working. You a busybody. And you see, many times we can get busy doing a lot of stuff and it doesn't produce anything. Let me tell you, busybodies love to brag about how busy they are. Have you ever noticed in our culture that, I mean, it's just a, I'm just busy. I'm too busy. And we're so busy, we're so busy, we're so busy. And busybodies think, I, you know, I'm so glad you noticed that I'm so busy. But just because you're busy doesn't mean you're getting anything done. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite some, some friends out on stage. And I just want to talk about their diligence in doing their work. So if you guys can come on back. And as we close today, I just want you to give it up for some of our volunteers here at OneChurch.tv. Y'all come on out here. What's up? Y'all, if y'all just grab and sit on one of these seats, that would be great. And I'm going to get us a, a mic. All right. Let me introduce some of the folks that we have up here. <clears throat> and you may, you want to sit on this, Greg? All right, sounds good. This would be a little painful, all right? So um, uh, let me uh, introduce everyone. And in fact, uh, what I'll do is uh, I'll introduce them because sometimes I'm bad with names. Uh, this is Bill. I'm joking. This is, this is Brian Sorowski. Uh, y'all say hello to Brian. 
Brian uh, works in our children's ministry, and he's, as I mentioned, he's also uh, uh, worked for the past six years and set up a tear down. Did you hear that story I just told about you? Uh, in, out here? You yeah, me- I heard you, most of it. You, you remember that person who said, y'all do this day after day? Yeah. Like, dear Lord. Anyway, uh, this is Sheila Edmondson, also known as my mom. And uh, she, uh, she's wor- she works in babies. How long have you worked in babies? Since we started. Since we started. So, eight years. So, this is Christine Ferguson. Y'all say hello to Christine. And Christine, where do you serve? I serve in Fours in Wonderland. And how long have you been serving there? About four years now. Awesome. Fantastic. Let's give it up for Christine. All right. This is Greg and Michelle Clark. And Greg and Michelle, where do y'all serve? Uh, we're small group leaders. For, we're small group leaders for a couple small group, and we're getting ready to start a young adult small group. But we've also been greeting since about 2010. 2010. Awesome. Let's give it up for Greg and Michelle. And then Darcy Davis. Darcy, if you grab that mic and tell us what you do and how long you've been doing it. Been here. Been involved in serving for seven years. Did one way street, and now I am one up, which is fourth and fifth grade. Awesome. Let's give it up. Thank you very much. All right. Here's what I'm going to do: is I'm just going to ask them some questions, and we're going to kind of pass around the mic. Now, by the way, we've not rehearsed this, so I don't know what he's ever going to say. So it'll be unique. Um, so we've asked. I've asked how long you guys have been serving. Um, let me ask you: Could somebody just volunteer? What do you get out of serving? What do you get out of serving other people and what you do here at One Church? Who would like to answer that question? All right, cool, go ahead. Hold that mic close. Yes, sir. All right, thank you. Um, Have you ever been involved in anything and you just kind of are in the background and you don't really feel like that you get everything out of it that you should? For me, getting involved with the babies, I know you may think that babies aren't much you know they're small they don't learn you know but when you work with babies and you see them grow up in the church and you see them like when they get to third and fourth grade and then get to see them become a christian and be baptized that just touches your heart so Mm -hmm. much even though all i did was play with them or change their diaper they are in an environment where they later on in years get to hear the gospel and that means so much i enjoy that so much thank you so much mom thank you all right, we're going to take another offering. I'm just showing that. that. That was really good. Really, really good. All right, anybody else want to answer that question? What do you get out of serving? You don't have to. Okay, sure. Go ahead, Christine. Um, I work with the fours and their preschoolers. Um, and kind of the same, along the same lines as what Ms. Sheila said, um, as the kids, they get older. I have kids now that are four years past. They're starting to get into one-up, and they still come and give me a hug and tell me they love me and... It's just really sweet that they do remember. You know, a lot of times working in preschool, by the time they get older, they don't remember you anymore, but they remember me. And when I see them, I remember them. And the same thing, when they are baptized, it really warms my heart that those are kids that I've been praying for. Um, I also get to know their families. Um, A lot of times it's, you know, that's so-and-so's mom or that's so-and-so's dad. And a lot of times people tell me, like, no, you know them. I have to be like who's their kid, and then I'll know who they are. So awesome. it's a real blessing and a privilege to, to work so with much, these Christine. families. Anyone else want to answer that question? Oh, we can give it up. Let's see if we're going to do that. Go ahead. All right. Um, we, we do our couple small group on Monday nights, and a few years back there was a time that we didn't know that we were going to live to see another day in our marriage together. And it was our couple small group here at One Church that uh, they really came to us and supported us and kind of got us through that. And so when we came back from Korea, we weren't quite sure what we were going to do. So uh, 
our small group kind of fell into our lap. And so now to see some of the couples that are in our small group going through some of the things that we went through years ago and being able to help them get through their problems, it kind of makes it all worth it for us. Mm -hmm. That's good. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I, hope, I hope you heard what Michelle said because it's so interesting. I, I would say that all of these people, when they first started serving, none of them felt like they had it all together. They knew all the answers. And um, I think many times we start serving because some things had happened to us or this or that. And, and, and it, it, we have something to say about it. And I think that's interesting. I really do. Uh, I, I, none of us up here are perfect. Uh, but we know that God uh, can use each and every one of us. All right, let's ask another question here. Um, what is your most favorite thing about serving? Who wants to answer that one? All right, Darcy, there you go. Hand oh, there you go, Darcy. I uh, think it's awesome when you have a kid come into your class and you know right away and they will let you know they don't really want to be there. That's okay because that's your starting point. But when you see that kid change and start to get involved and interact, interact with the other kids and interact with you and open up and their mind is totally changed about being in that class and you see growth in them spiritually, that's the most awesome thing in the world. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Darcy. Also, somebody else. Yes, Greg. Yeah. Uh, I really think that it's cool being in our couple small group and leading our couple small group. Uh, simply because we can be in a more intimate setting and be with like-minded Christians that are going through the same struggles that we're going through. Now, it might be, you know, someone knows the Bible better than someone. Uh, someone, and we had the unique opportunity, this small group, that three of us, three of the guys that are in the small group, we all retired within months of each other. So, I mean, it was like, have you gotten your VA yet? Have you gotten your VA straight or squared away? You know, and it was like, that was kind of like the opening topic for us every single week was like, hey, what's going on with your VA? Have you gotten any letters back? You know, and we kind of went through that struggle together because all of us retiring, it was kind of like stepping into that unknown, like, mm. man, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this because I don't know how I'm going to make the ends meet, you know, going into this new season of my life. But we all, you know, the wives work together as well. So, I mean, it was just, it was awesome being in that group, in that intimate setting with like-minded Christians going through all the same struggles. Mm. That's good. Thank you so much. Man, that's awesome. <clears throat> all right, let me uh, let us ask another question. Uh, does any of y'all, do you have like a big moment, a life-changing moment that you've seen uh, while you were serving either in yourself or in somebody else that you would like to share? One of the things that we do on Sunday morning, uh, Mondays at our staff, is we ask the question, okay, what's some of those moments of life change that you've experienced or some of the volunteers that you lead experience? And we all have, always have these amazing stories. I want to share some of these amazing stories with you. So who has one of those? Go ahead, Brian. Well, so I just want to say, I think much of life change is gradual, um, but really my, my big memories... Um, setting up children's here are, are the mornings when I'm done with setup and somewhere around 8 o'clock uh, my children show up and they run in and they give me a hug and they say daddy can I help can I push something uh, you know what can I do and that's really awesome to see that in your children you know they see you doing that and your children are a reflection of you 
And mm. so you can see, well, maybe I'm doing something right here. Absolutely. And, and they're learning. This is how we love other people. Wow, absolutely. And how many kids do you have, Brian? I have two kids. Two kids, all right. Uh, I'll say this. Um, uh, just as uh, uh, Brian and Heather's two kids, and by the way, you both serve together. So this is, oh, this is one of those tensions of, you know, what do you do with the kids when you serve? Um, and uh, they serve many times both hours. He gets here at 6. Heather comes a little bit later, and she brings the kids. But the kids serve as well. I'll tell you this. I have three boys. Uh, all three of my boys serve. Walt was here at 6 o'clock this morning. He's, he's 16 years old. He gritched about it being here at 6 o'clock, but uh, he was here. And uh, he helped uh, with children's environments. I tell you, my son Jed, he's a sixth grader. Uh, he helps out in One Way Street uh, with uh, some of the production stuff. And a lot of times, Bing will stay another hour. And he actually is w actually in One Way Street, but then he will many times work. So I agree with you, Brian. Our kids look at us and that our children see us serving and, and see that it's not just about us, but it's about serving other people. I think that's a huge thing. Jesus said it this way in Mark 10, 45. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And here's the thing. When we choose saying, okay, I'm not going to serve, uh, we're really saying that we're better than Jesus. And I don't think I want to say that. You don't Anyway, so let's ask another question. Um, what, is, uh, what would you say to someone who's been sitting here and just not serving as we close? What would you say? Yeah, go ahead, Mom. Try it out. If you don't like it, quit. But there's so many different areas in the church that you can work, and believe you me, you'll be a better person for it. To help, Just the feeling of knowing that you are helping somebody else, it just makes you feel wonderful. And I challenge you just to try it out. If you don't like the babies, move up to three and fours or third and fourth. But just try it. Or greet. Everybody can stick out a hand and say, welcome. And, you know, and none of us are any better than any of you. But we get so much out of it. And it's such a great feeling. It makes you feel good about yourself and what you do and what you can do for your church. Mm, that's good. That's good. Anyone else? Go ahead. I would just say that everything that you get out of serving far outweighs what your pushback is against serving. So what you get out of coming in here and like Sheila said, just sticking out a hand, that's, that's mostly what I do. I don't, I don't escort anybody around. I'm just at the door saying, welcome to One Church. Every one of you out there can do that. Welcome to One Church. And that's that open door to let them know, hey, this place ain't going to be as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, my friend told me, oh, I'll come to church and I really didn't want to go. These people seem kind of friendly. You know, man, that guy looks a lot like me. He's got tattoos, you know. It, it, it's all about that, hey, welcome. And that's the easiest thing to do in the morning. Mm. So you, you're going to get way more out of whatever your pushback is against serving. That's good. That's good. Let me say this. Can we, thank, can we give it up? Give it up for these guys. Thank you all very, very much. As we close, and, and you guys can stay up here or you can walk up. But let me just say this. Here's where the power comes. I know, I'm holding this hammer, and Christine's like, I, I'm getting away from you. Because you already said you, you ain't handy. Here, it's just being consistent. Day in, day out. Serving, getting in, getting involved. So here's my challenge to you, all right? If you have your phones right now, I'm going to challenge you to be able to whip out your phones and do one of two things. You can go on at version, and you can go to the very bottom. You can click on the live events, go to the very bottom, and there's a way that you can sign up to serve from there. 
Or if you go to our website, onechurch.tv, one of the first graphics that comes up, it says be a VIP because our volunteers are very important people here at One Church. You can click on that graphic. And I'm going to challenge you to sign up for one of these teams to join a team and not just to sign up, but to show up next Sunday. Because here's what we're going to do. If you sign up and say, okay, I'm willing to try babies, and then you have to pick an hour that you want to try, 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Now, just because you try it don't mean you've signed your life away in blood, okay? All I'm asking you to do is to shadow a person like my mom for that Sunday morning, and then afterwards they're going to ask you, hey, what did you think? Did you like it? Did you not like it? And just and they're going to have a dialogue with you. And if that's something that you enjoyed, then what you can do is we can put you on a rotation and you can just start shadowing people. We're not going to throw you in the deep end and go, okay, you need to teach the exegetical outline of Revelation to babies. We're not going to ask you to do that. We're not. All right? But what we are going to ask you to do is to love on people. And to stick out a hand and say, you know what, I'm willing to serve. So sign up, and you can do that two ways. Website, VIP, click on it, or the bottom of you version. And then I want you to show up. If you sign up at 9 o'clock to serve next week, show up at 8.30. All right? If you sign up at 11 o'clock, if you want to be a greeter at 11, you need to show up at 10.30 so that you can be able to meet with our team so that we can kind of be able to give you what you need for that day. All right? So that's my challenge for you. Let's pray, and then the band, they're going to lead us out of here. All right? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for the men and women who are out here. I thank you so much, God, Lord, just for their consistency of hitting the nail day after day after day. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for the impact that they've had in children and babies and preschoolers and elementary age kids that some of these kids, the people up here have had, some of them who are babies now, they're in middle school. And they're serving and they're getting baptized and life change is happening. And just as Brian said, life change rarely happens in an instant. It happens over time. It's that consistency of doing the grunt work over time that many times it pays off. And we see it in an instant when somebody gets baptized and when somebody happens. But what we got to see, God, and what you show us is the big picture. The big picture. That every one of those kids that were baptized, every one of those adults that got baptized, they were, there was chains of people in their life, links of people in life who poured into them and loved them and moved them where they did not want to be sometimes, as Darcy said. They showed up not wanting, but that was a starting point for them. So Lord, I pray that you would allow us all to be faithful and consistent in doing the grunt work. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.